Welcome to another episode of the AlbumReview.net podcast. I'm Greg Potters. Thanks to all you loyal listeners out there for your interaction and feedback. Your feedback is much appreciated and it helps me to always improve. Well, it's been a long time since a rock and frickin' roll. For today's episode, episode number 51, I'm pleased to welcome Clementine Moss. Clem is an author, spiritual counselor, and drummer for the Led Zeppelin powerhouse, Zepparella. You guys are in for a real treat. In this episode, Clem and I discuss her spiritual counseling and meditation practice, her brilliant rock drumming, her love for John Bonham's drumming style, life on the road as a touring musician, and her recent book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer, which was published recently on February 22nd, 2023. I don't know about you guys, but when I meet a woman as sweet and as kind as Clem, and then I find out that she kicks ass on the drums in a rock band, man, that piques my interest and I want to immediately find out what makes her tick. I also include some tracks from her band, Zepparella, throughout this episode so you can hear how killer her drum beats are. All right, a little business. Remember, you can read my reviews and listen to any of my podcast episodes by going to albumreview.net. These episodes can also be heard wherever podcasts are available please follow my podcast on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. Also, this is important. If you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. So just pause this real quick, go back, rate the podcast just real quick, just a teeny little rate. I would greatly appreciate it. In addition to listening, you can read over 50 written reviews at albumreview.net and pick up merchandise from your favorite bands. I also have the bookstore where you can pick up music autobiographies in addition to the many books by published authors that I've had here on the show. Go check it out. When you're visiting albumreview.net, please also be sure to check out the store. I've got a wide variety of items for purchase in the store. You can pick yourself up things such as trucker hats, t-shirts, several of your favorite albums, home sound systems, and books, like I said, that I highly recommend. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Clementine Moss. Oh my gosh, I've been loving the interview about Revolver. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I just love it. Yeah, I'm learning all kinds of stuff about it. And, you know, one cool thing was that suddenly I was driving and I was listening to you and suddenly I remembered how like 
much sunlight is in my memories of listening to music early in my life, you know, that I, and, awesome. you know, and yeah. it's so cool that as somebody who plays in a tribute band, it's like, really, that's what people are experiencing, right? That music brings you back to those moments. And it, in the Beatles, for some reason, there's just so much light in that music, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really exactly what I was going for. It just to, you know, give people an opportunity to get out of it, whatever they want, right? Or I grew up, I probably said it all in the podcast, but like my mother was a huge Beatles fan. She saw the Beatles at Shea. And saw the Beatles at Shea in 66. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. amazing. She used to talk yeah. about it all the time. And so joining me on the show today is Clementine Moss. Clem is an author, spiritual counselor, and drummer for the Led Zeppelin powerhouse Zepparella. Today, Clem and I are going to talk about 12 million things, including her counseling practice, her exceptional rock drumming, her love for John Bonham's drumming style, life on the road as a touring musician, and her recent book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer, which was published on February 22nd, 2023, which is only about a month from the date that we're recording this. So that's my also my son's birthday, February 22nd. So that's a, a really special day for, for me. And I'm assuming for you as well, because it's the launch of your book, the published date. So again, I mentioned it before, but thanks so much for, for joining me today, Clem. Thanks so much. Uh, this is going to be so much fun. I've been I, really looking forward to it. I wanted to talk about your band, your book, and your spiritual side and counseling. But before diving into that, I wanted to start with a little background. So I think you mentioned that you live in San Francisco currently? I live in San Francisco. I've lived here for 22 years, I guess. Yeah. I think I told you that's my favorite city by far yeah. in the U.S. Um, reminds you, you me would a love lot of it Boston. Today. Yeah, you would love it today. It's magical. It's so pretty outside. How's the weather been the last couple of weeks there? Rainy, 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 yeah, rainy. Right. Which in California, you know, it's illegal to complain about rain. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming it's like really green now and lush. Oh my gosh. We just drove, We last weekend we had shows in San Luis Obispo, um, right. Paula, Paula, which is east of San Diego and Hollywood. And so we drove down the 101 and it was, it looked like Teletubby land. It was so pretty. Just all of the, you know, usually it's brown, you know, it's been brown for right. a long time. And yeah, oh forever. my gosh. And the poppies are going crazy in the desert. I mean, it's, it's magical. Yeah. Now, so, so you've been there for, you know, a few decades, but you didn't grow up there, right? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Southern California, okay. um, in Orange County, and then uh, went to school in Santa Cruz, and okay. then uh, went to New York City for lived there for fourteen years. So um, I moved from there to San Francisco. And when did you? I think you mentioned that you started drumming either seriously or just in general when you were twenty-seven. Is that yeah? Is that right? Mm-hmm. When did you know that you wanted to be a musician? Like I, I, I can actually pinpoint not necessarily the day, but the year when Ooh. I knew when the bug hit me. Do you have like? Do you remember when it like? Did it just smack you like a truck, and and you just knew then, or did it take some time? Uh, well, you know, I played a bunch of instruments when I was a kid. I played piano for for uh, eight years or so, and cool. tried a bunch of instruments and sang and all this stuff. But I was a writer. I mean, I moved to, I went to school for writing. I stopped playing music when I was in high school. Uh, 
and then uh, when I moved to New York, I moved to New York to write. And um, I wasn't, I had this feeling that I didn't really have anything to say, you know, that I hadn't sure. lived. Right. And, um, and I had my boyfriend at the time was a recording engineer and a musician. And so I had a lot of music around me. And um, we started a little band where I was singing. And I wasn't a very good singer that I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a good singer now, but then I was really not good because I was very insecure. And, um, and then uh, we lost our drummer one day and I sat down at the drums and, you know, uh, Greg said, hey, you know, you know, here's a couple things you can do. And I kind of did it. And he's like, actually, you know, that's not bad, you know, so we went um home and he had some drums at the house and set them up and wow. i started kind of dabbling in it and then um i was uh bartending in new york and this man came in and i was telling him i was kind of dabbling with the drums and he said well here's the number of the best drum teacher in new york city and gave me the name of fred klatz who's a okay. drum teacher and i started taking private lessons and um and so i don't know when the moment that I thought, um, okay, now this is what I'm going to do, because it seems so right. outlandish, you know, sure. I was 27 <laughs> and it's like, what, now I'm going to be a drummer. But <laughs> I, it just suddenly when I came home and the drums were there, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah. they, you know, I'd never felt that way before with an instrument. It was always like, I got to practice. I got to practice the piano. You know, it, ne they, it never really drew me like yeah. that. And then I started thinking, well, you know, I've been, I don't want to, you know, work at a bar for the rest of my life. And right. I do really want to travel. And if sure. I was a musician, I could travel. And, right. <laughs> and it was like this kind of, I don't know, that's the way my mind works. So that's, yeah. you know, for, for some lucky, I, I'm very, very fortunate that I've never really felt a sense of limitation. Like if I wanted to do it, I was just going to do it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I can imagine, but I let's what was family like, like for you growing up, like, so growing up in Southern California, Orange County, like what was, what was your childhood like? Yeah, it was very, very suburban. Um, my dad, um, uh, my parents were wonderful, wonderful parents, um, oh, you know, showed up every to every single practice, even I mean, my dad yeah. ended up being the coach of me and my sisters of like all the sports and um, they were they were very supportive. Um, my father actually, you know, at the time, um, you know, he really didn't want me to have any feeling of limitation at being a female. So he was very uh, thought that women in sports for him sports was where women could really find their power and he thought it was really important for young women to play sports yeah. um, to be powerful if i wanted the pink bike he bought me the green schwinn if i wanted the cute shoes he would buy me the boys high you know converse i mean it was just this thing where he was like trying to get me to to be you know uh, my own person i think and he was a great music lover like a huge music fan like your mom where it was just all day all all the time when he was home with music so that that influenced me do you remember some of the records that he had around the house when you were a kid i have them i do have them because really? he yeah because he passed away when he was 54 and uh, i'm the one who inherited the album so uh, i have um yeah i have all of these they're all ripped up they're not worth anything except in <laughs> you know for me um sure 
and I'm sure I'm the one who who messed them all up when I was a kid. But um, the first album I remember staring at, listening and staring at when I was three, four years old was Cosmos Factory, Creedence wow. Clearwater Revival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't until I was in my 20s when I saw the cover of it, I was like, oh, they're in a recording studio. Like <laughs> as a kid, I thought they were in a garage. You know, I didn't understand where they were. Um, but yeah, that, and then he just, he loved Southern rock. So he loved Skinnerd. Stones were number one. Okay. Um, okay. but he also really loved the band, um, okay. Bob Dylan and band. Bob Dylan, yeah. oh, man. um, Beatles, all, all Beatles all the time. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, it was what we now call classic rock, but at the time it was sure. Like, right. Right. So, and so that was really, Led, oh, go yeah, ahead. Sorry. And, and Led Zeppelin was kind of a cutoff for him. Okay. You know, Led Zeppelin became my music. It was a little hard, I think, for my dad. Right. He liked the more bluesy stuff, like John Lee Hooker and, right. um, you know, Skinner's, um, but, um, uh, but Zeppelin was mine. Zeppelin was kind of considered to, because my parents were the same, like they liked the Stones and, and the Beatles and um, Sly and the Family Stone. And I mm -hmm. found all those records, but I never found a Zeppelin record in their collection. And I, and like you, Clem, I have all my parents' records um, mm -hmm. now, and there's a, a mixture. But yeah, they kind of stopped at that. I think Zeppelin to that generation, correct me if I'm wrong, or I guess, you know, that this is what I feel that was kind of considered like early heavy metal. Yeah. And because I can remember my parents saying, ah, that was just a little bit too loud for me. Yeah. And um, I can't remember who coined the, the phrase, but if I was always, I always remember saying, well, if it's too loud, then you're too old. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it sounds like your, your, your parents, especially your dad really supported your life goals and ambitions. And maybe you didn't necessarily know that you wanted to be a musician back in your, um, you know, preteens and teens, but it, it seemed like your father's support, at least your dad and maybe your mom too, really shaped who you are today. I mean, just from talking to you a couple of times, I feel like that's what really brings out a lot of the peacefulness that I feel you have. Would you mm -hmm. agree? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel that the fact that I was born with two parents uh, and I'm not saying that we didn't have our stuff, right? Sure, Definitely. Sure. But, um, yeah. but um, to have two parents who really their goal was um, my well-being in at all times that I was yeah. at the forefront of their thought. Yeah. I won the lottery. I, you sure know, now did. that I work yeah. now that I work with folks, um, you know, in, in the spiritual counseling method that I do and work through childhood trauma and things like that, I just it, more and more over time. I'm gr I'm so grateful, really, really grateful. Yeah, and I've he... always felt I had a a cheerleader behind me, like a cheerleading yeah. team behind me. And, oh gosh, I wish everybody had that. 100%. I mean, that's the, you know, I don't want to dive too deep down this rabbit hole, but I mean, I feel like that's the, the genesis of a lot of the mental health issues out there. Yeah. And it might seem very common sense to a lot of people, but it really took me, you know, when I got out of my twenties and into my thirties to where I really had a change because you know uh, fortunately or unfortunately I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with starting the sentence off with unfortunately you know I grew up kind of in my 20s very different from how I am today I mean I still loved music but I was kind of closed-minded and you know so I would see someone on the street that was 
not doing so well and I would think well you know they made that choice and mm-hmm. um, I'm so grateful that as I've gotten older and maybe the last 20 years or so I've had an opportunity to travel more and meet different people and really see the beauty in different people it's clear that you have this peacefulness to you even though you're this hardcore rock and drummer um, but mm-hmm. that you you know have this um, this this foundation of peace and love and that sounds kind of cheesy but it's the truth so it's just I, I, yeah. I think that that goes so far and you probably pass that you know over and down to other family members and friends well I think that that was that was found because uh, you the thing that I've the biggest thing I've struggled like my big struggle with uh, which is you know part partly in the book is that I just even with all of that positive reinforcement I had just this screaming negative voice my whole life and I attribute a lot of that to the fact that I grew up in Southern California and Orange County and I was I tend to be overweight a little overweight and I never felt like I you know, looked like ever, I was supposed to look like or fit in the way I could, I could. And, you know, as a young woman, especially in the 70s, growing up in the 70s, 80s, right. um, you know, there's a very narrow window of what beauty was, of what you were, of, totally. and that was your value. That was my value was my beauty, right? Yeah, my, right. the way that I looked, that was yeah. a big part of it. Um, to the point where I remember when I was, you know, 12, standing in front of a mirror and saying, okay, well, this is what it is. So you better figure out some other way to be, you know, to be interesting or to find something else that you, you know, that you like, because this is not going to get you where you want, you know, where you want to go be. Right. right and, right. um, you know, that's a terrible way to, to judge yourself. And, um, and that, uh, that discomfort, that self attack ended up becoming a real, just self denigration, self hatred for, really long time and again like you said that's unfortunate it was also fortunate because it did bring me to um, meditation to contemplative study to really trying to figure myself out why do I hate myself so much why do I never feel like I'm good enough Um, why am I chasing all of these external things because inside of me you know, there's something, I feel something bad, like I'm bad, you know, and I think, man, if, if I can feel that way with my, um, all of the benefits that I was born into, um, then maybe I could help people to, you know, who feel that way. Cause I think then many, many people have that. Did you um, have any brothers and sisters growing up? Yeah, I have two sisters, one who's three years younger than me and one who oh, nice. is 16 years younger than me. She was the surprise baby. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. And they're both magical, magical humans. And they're much lighter than I ever was. You know, I, I, I was very miserable in high school and, you know, kind of um, had, a, I think, a darker streak. And they're um you know my my sister daphne she is the ultimate extrovert you know she's the one who walks into a room and the party begins right? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she's a lot like my father yeah <laughs> so you know i i recently lost my mom well it's been a couple of years and it's mm. been 
it sounds like it's been several for for you what, what was that like i mean you know without getting into the super details i mean what, what were some of the things that you went through in the grieving process when he passed if you don't mind sharing i know yeah that's personal. yeah well first of all i'm i'm real sorry about your mom you know i don't think Thanks. that you know that that we i i learned that you know the hurt never goes away but it becomes a no. teacher you know no, it doesn't but you're yeah. right it does become a teacher it does yeah yeah um you know i was it was i had just started playing drums and my father died and oh, um wow. he never saw me he never saw me play drums and um and we were a bit estranged you know when i for all of the support he was a you know he was a cantankerous difficult could be a difficult guy and right. that thing happened to me when i hit puberty where i really decided my father was like terrible yeah, <laughs> like I mean, the disgusting yeah, i didn't yeah. want to be near him yeah. i just you know and we were just at too. it I we was were there too at it for sure yeah, yeah. some yeah. sometimes i've told my friends who have uh you know young uh, girls who are going into teenhood. I'm like, listen, I know she's daddy's girl now, but there's a chance that <laughs> that you're going to go through a lot of years and you're going to be heartbroken, but she'll come back to you. She'll come back. She will yeah. come back. She'll That's come back. phenomenal come advice. Back. That's such great advice. And because I think you're right. A lot of parents are you know, it won't, not my child or it won't happen to me. And that sort of leads me into my next question. This is like a perfect segue because I was going to ask you, was music, I guess, in your kind of rebellious stage or maybe even today, but did music sort of become at an early age kind of an outlet to you? Meaning like, you know, did you sort of immerse yourself in music while you were growing up to escape? Sometimes I think back and I think about, you know, my eight-year-old birthday slumber party right mm -hmm. where what i was most excited about was playing planet waves oh, you know nice. the band's planet waves for my friends and i remember <laughs> them just looking at me like what are you this isn't this isn't good music like, what are you, talking about? <laughs> you know like just them confused you know and getting the message like oh this is this is mine you know this is, <laughs> this is not i guess i'm not supposed to share this you know um so and then when i was um from the time i remember my little clock radio with mm -hmm. the with yep. the sound i mean that was yep, yep. heaven yeah. Like sometimes I hear a song like, oh, what is that song? Um, Midnight on the Water. What yeah. is that song again? Uh, uh, is It's not ELO. It's, um, ah, darn. Might be ELO. I'm, I'm going to cheat and look it up. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw the ocean's daughter. That to me, that is transportive still when I hear it because I think of being 11 years old and hearing the sound, the song in the middle of the night on my through my radio and just thinking that there was something bigger out there, right? There's two of them that I'm finding. It's probably mm -hmm. not this one. It's is it a yellow? Oh. And I can't get you out of my It is. Of my it is. Head. It's yellow. You're right. Yep. It's yellow, right? Yellow. Yeah. 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 And electric like light that, orchestra. You got yeah. It. When I listen to that, I read. I I'm transported back into my childhood bedroom, Isn't that like great? with that sound coming out. And Led Zeppelin was that way for me too. You know. And that's the that's a beautiful thing about finding myself at this 
stage of the game, having spent so much time inside that music. Yeah. You strike me as somebody that, you know, being a deep thinker and doing everything that you do with, with music and spirituality, I, can you, can you close your eyes and picture your bedroom growing up and literally like reach out and you can like touch your piggy bank or touch the bedpost or touch like, do, do you have that sort of vision still to this day? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. It, you yeah. mentioned, uh, you know, obviously transitioning into Led Zeppelin. What drew you to the band first off? I mean, I think, I could answer that question pretty quickly, but I want to hear yeah. your opinion. But then also what drew you to say like, this is what, you know, I want to do in terms of like my, my music career, my music life. I know you do other things as well, but just as far as like joining a band that now tours and takes up a good amount of your time, like what drew you to, to wanting to pay trip this much kind of tribute to Zeppelin? Yeah. Well, when I fell in love with Zeppelin, I was a drummer. I was right. a fan, you know, I was right. a young fan. I was a fan for the first, what, uh, you know, 15 years that I was listening to right. Led Zeppelin, right? So. Do you remember the first Zeppelin song you heard that did it? Um, no, I don't. No. Um, I know that I stayed up for three days straight recording Led Zeppelin A to Z on a cassette tape, on cassette tapes wow. uh, one weekend. Uh when they were doing that on the radio. I listened to KMET, which was a big station in Los Angeles. And, sure. Um, and they they would do that uh, play. So I never know what album any song is on. Right. right. Those, you know, yeah. different songs went in. Um, and then, um, you know, coming to play Led Zeppelin, um, I was playing in an ACDC band with Gretchen Men, my, uh, the guitarist of right. Zeppelin. Right. We were in that band and we wanted to play more. And a few years prior to that, I had uh, asked um, the band, the original band that I was in, which the name of it was Bottom. They were from New York City. And I asked them if they would want to play Zeppelin songs. And I kind of wrote out a list of songs I thought were in my relative ability. Um, and they didn't go for it. So when I was talking to Gretchen about uh, playing, you know, putting together a project to play more often. I said, well, I had this idea for Zeppelin. And she said, oh, I want to learn Jimmy Page's stuff. And I really just wanted to learn Bonham's playing. And sure. to be honest, I, my idea was to kind of learn a couple songs and then learn the rest of them as a practice project. I right. never thought that I would be able to play them on stage. Never. You right. know, I, right. I it took me... It took me so long to learn the ocean. It took me so long that I, <laughs> I thought there's imagine. just no way, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this on stage. So, um, yeah. So the fact that that's what I've been doing for the last 18 years is uh, very shocking to me.
what has carried me through it is this deep love I have for it and the fact that I can close my eyes and be in that bedroom and hear that music coming out of that little um, that little clock radio and remember that how I was transported by it and so I thought if I can just I'm never gonna be Bonham obviously right and 90% of drummers can play play it better than me right like everybody can play it you know can do the foot thing that I can't do everybody can do all the stuff that I can't do I don't know I mean okay maybe a few but I I listen to a lot of music too and Mm. I've been willing to bet a lot of listeners would agree that you you got it down pretty pretty well and and I want to get into some of that like the details of it in a moment but Mm, I didn't want to cut you off on your thought please continue thank you for saying that but you know for all of my you know for again the negative voice of saying all the ways that I'm not doing it right the one thing I know about myself is that I love it as much as anybody could possibly love it that music uh, you know it, it really saved me when I was in those really dark moments you know being in this place and thinking like, gosh, if this is the the way life is, then I don't know that I want to be going further here. And yeah. uh, it was music that that brought me out of those thoughts. Like I remember seeing yeah. B-52s on Saturday Night Live play Rock Lobster. Oh and my I was God. like, yeah. it was like, that's it. Like yeah. there's something else. There's some other life out there. There's some other world out there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so that's what music means to me. And that's what I try to convey when I'm playing live and I close my eyes. I want it to sound, I want it to feel like that. Yeah.
Zeparella, and you recently you were saying you recently did some shows throughout Southern California, and I, soon I think next week you're heading to the Midwest and the Southeast to hit some cities like um, Kansas City, Omaha, Atlanta, and a bunch of others, right? Yeah, so we tend to play, we play, uh, we, we aim to play, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less, uh, but at this stage of the game, um, we play, we try to play uh, about two weekends a month, you know, the three, three nights. Um, so, um, so yeah, so we do these little three week, three day runs. So we'll be in, yeah, Kansas City, Omaha, North Dakota, and then and then some California stuff, and then we'll be in Nashville and right. Indiana, I think. And, um, yeah, so we kind of we kind of pop plop around, you know, in the in the states that way. I'd love to see you guys anywhere. Uh, do you ever stream live shows, or is there ever an opportunity? I guess maybe we could probably find something on YouTube. What like what's the best way if I'm not able to get to one of your shows? What's the best way to see one of your live shows, either live or 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 taped? Well, uh, you know, I think we have some very dedicated people who um, show up at many, many shows and try nice. to, you know, plug into the soundboard and record it. Um, every time we play a show, people say, I've been watching you on YouTube for years and it is nothing like the real thing. And, yeah, sure. you know, because Zeppelin is power, like you yep. got to feel the energy, right? <laughs> like you got to be with people around you and you know, feel the power. But if you don't have that opportunity, then I guess YouTube is the next best thing. How great is Nashville? I mean, just being a musician, I've been to Nashville three times now. And the first time I went, which was about 10 years ago, I was just blown away by, you know, just it's, it's dedication to live music. Yeah. Um, there's none of this you know, at least I never found any kind of dance clubs. Maybe they exist down there, but every place I went into, it was like one after the next, after the next, after the next. It was all live music. And Clem, every musician in every bar was incredible. And I just incredible. could never get enough. I was there last summer um, again, and I just, it, it, you know, it's like a Tuesday night and I couldn't, I couldn't resist staying awake till three o'clock in the morning, which is not something I usually do anymore. Uh, since I, uh, you know, got got a lot older and uh, had less energy, but I I couldn't help it because these musicians were just so. So, uh, what is it like playing cities like Nashville? Well, see, a city for Zeparella, a city like Nashville, Nashville can be tricky because, really? um, yeah, because people, if you know, you go to Nashville, what do you want to see? right you want to see music from nashville <laughs> you know i don't you don't guess, necessarily yeah, want to sometimes. go see yeah. you know what i mean so that that can be a little bit tricky um but i love nashville and actually my guitarist in my original project stars turn me on justin cockett mm -hmm. lives in nashville now and uh, oh, cool. when we play there at the end of the month i think i'm going to do a book reading um there for my book uh, oh, cool. and um, and then he's going to take me around and we're going to we're going to check out some of the some of the places. So I'm very excited. He's a good tour guide. So, yeah, it's always it's key fun. to have, you know, um, tour guides in different cities to take you around. So what is yeah, what's life good. like on the road for you? I mean, how has it changed over the years? What's it like now? You know, I I asked because I I used to sort of dream of 
being a touring musician and um and i have played live shows before with bands and then on my own as an independent artist but i've never really done like a big tour like like you have what's life like on the road or what was it like when you guys first started and what's it like now is it any different or is it kind of the same well when i started touring i was uh touring with bottom Mm -hmm. and um we were a three-piece metal band from new york city and uh yeah, in two, the year 2000, we uh, did 320 shows in a year. Wow. So we had Holy two of us, the three of us in the van doing all the stuff. So we gave up our apartments in New York City and we were like, we bought a new Econoline van and we were driving back from the dealership. We had like every last bit of money we had, we like put towards this van and we're driving back and we're like, man, this van is nicer than my apartment, right? And uh, <laughs> we all, we had just gotten this great new booking agent and we were all thinking like, and we just started talking. We're like, what if we just toured all the time? And we called the booking agent and he was like, I can do it. And so we kind of uh, like two months later, we left our relationships and apartments and everything and just moved into the van. And then it was every night, different city Right. We uh, went around the States, I think, eight times at least. Wow. Um, and um, yeah, it, it just became, um, I mean, and that's, that was the road times a million, right? Because sure. it's every single day. You're doing all of the loading. You're doing the packing. You're going to Kinko's in the day and printing out the posters <laughs> right. for the next show that's coming up in a month. You know, you're like, I mean, it's all that stuff. And we became kind of famous for like rolling up to the venue as the band before us is playing, setting up the gear in the alley, rolling in there, rocking out for an hour, and then like getting out and Take going you yeah. know yeah. yeah yeah so um yeah so that was that was very intense and uh, i've never toured so intensely since uh Zepparel has done a couple of month-long tours mm-hmm. but that was quite a while ago sure. and um everybody's very very busy um gretchen right. men my guitarist i mean she's you know she's just rocking it so um you know she she certainly has a lot more going on so we 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 keep it going in a, in a healthy way. I think I feel like the backstage yeah. life now or backstage world is correct me if I'm wrong, but like a little, a lot different seventies and eighties. It was, let's face it, like a lot of sex, drugs and rock and roll, or at least a lot of craziness when you're in your twenties too, you know, you're, 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 like you said, you're living in a van or you're, you know, driving around the country in a van. You're probably living off of big Macs or, um, Burger King or whatever you can get, you know, bread sandwiches and, and you have a lot more energy. Uh, I've been to a couple shows in the last five years where I've had the lucky opportunity to go backstage and it's not even close to that. Remember going to see Counting Crows backstage, you're expecting, you know, Counting Crows, and this was 20 years ago, but Counting Crows was, you know, a lot of songs about relationships and girls and they were still rockers. And we went backstage and there was it was like the most sterile environment you've ever seen. The band couldn't have been nicer, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't kind of what I had expected. I didn't really care because I was just so grateful to meet the band and tell them how much they meant to me. I remember leaving and being like, wow, that was nothing that I was, you know, thinking. So I guess um, 
as you're now today on stage, I'm curious to get your opinion or take or your definition of what you think or what the band Zeparella thinks is like, what's your definition of a good show? Uh, a good show is when, um, is when we're really connected musically. Yeah. You know, when we're really, when it's just, it's powerful and effortless and we're getting that feeling back from the audience and um and the venue levitates right it feels yeah. like it's levitating yeah and that's to me those are the good shows um and as far as you know as far as the party you know every night's different right sure and every night every band is different and True. um you know i know uh my husband is a tour manager as well you know and and you know as bands are you know together for long periods of time often there's somebody who's had to get sober or something exactly. and so it's like exactly. okay sober room over here and yep. you know party <laughs> room over here. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and then uh, you don't know what happens in the bus when the you know when the doors close and what kind of shenanigans <laughs> go on you know so <laughs> I think shenanigans go on. And um, I also think that for people who are in it long enough, it's, a, it's, it's work. It's hard work. I mean, exactly. I'm the driver. I'm the booker. I mean, not the booker, but the manager. I'm the, you know, I'm the one. So um, luckily for me, I have infinite stamina. Um, but Seems you like know, it. if you're playing yeah. three nights, three nights in a row, you know, my singer, like she's, she's careful. She's yeah. going to bed. She's not drinking. She's, right. you know, she wants to be able to belt it out. I mean, the, the primary thing is that we get on stage and we give what we're there to give. Exactly. And, um, you know, if you feel like crap, when you get on stage, that's no fun. No, you know? not anymore. You know, right. I feel like it, it, when you, when we were in our twenties, I felt like we, I could just get through it. I, I don't know. I just had this like level of like, just Greg, just push through it. But you know, mm -hmm. now today, uh, 46, I, I, like I, I miss an, like an hour of sleep and I'm cranky for a week, you know? So I can imagine <laughs> that, you know, if I had to go on the road, it would be, you know, early to bed, you know, a little bit of partying here or there and, you know, maybe weekend nights, but early to bed, exercise, healthy eating, limited caffeine. And, and I feel like that would be the way that I would be able to give 110% on stage. And, um, you know, and it just seems like the old me would have thought that that was the cheesiest, least rock and roll thing ever. But really now more and more people that I talk to Clem, it's, it really is about the music and it's not about the parting. Whereas I, I, you know, interviewed people, you know, and they would say, well, back in the day, it was really about the party or it was about the guys or it was about meeting the girls. And I feel like everyone that I talk to nowadays, it's, it, it really has come full circle, but it's back to really, it's about, it's about the music and putting on a good show. And you just sort of, um, you know, yeah, prove I, that I think as well. That, yeah. And I think, I think that, that, um, I think it's always been that case, the case of that, honestly, yeah. you know, I mean, the body can only handle so much, right? Mm. Now, I will say, if I had a drum tech and I had a bus and I had a tour manager and all I had to do was to Show up. drive around and then get on stage for two hours and play my drums, I probably would have had a problem, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? Right. 
<laughs> with all that downtime <laughs> and everybody around to like do whatever I want, you know, I probably would have got myself in a lot more trouble. Yeah. So maybe it is a benefit that I was never hugely successful and had to work my butt off and, you know, more than, you know, than other musicians who have, uh, have a lot more support that way. So it's, it's, uh, maybe that was good for me. Maybe it was a, some somewhat of a level of maturity that you kind of always had from that standpoint because you kind of knew what, you know, and I'm speaking somewhat for myself, but I could imagine like you, you sort of knew what you could handle and what you couldn't and and you just were like, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm sharing a lot of like, I, I, it's just so great now being a, an adult because I know what I can do and what I don't, and I'm less concerned about what other people think. And so it's like, I don't have a problem anymore leaving a room with 30 people and being like, I'm going to bed guys. And they're all, I mean, especially my guy friends, they're like, you're doing what? No, no, no. You're not going anywhere. Everybody lay down in front. Don't let them out. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, like, you know, 20 years ago, I would succumb to that pressure. Um, but I didn't look at it as like peer pressure, more just like, Hey, we want you to hang out with us. So don't go. Whereas now it's like, Hey, I, I'm out, I'm going to bed and it's not every night, but on certain nights. And I guess I've just, um, it seems like it's better when you're older because you know, your limits and you really are, you know, thinking more like I'm so lucky to be here and I'm so lucky to be doing this for whatever, 20 plus or so years. And I, I think it's maybe easier, but also getting back to, you know, what you were saying about, you know, the, the likelihood of people having a problem for sure. But it, it, it seems like a lot of folks like your, especially like yourself, like you just, you had that ability to say like, here's what I can do and here's what I can't do. And quite frankly, I don't know if I necessarily want to do X, Y, and Z anymore. Maybe every once in a while, but uh, for the most yeah. part, you know. Well, and I, I, I really believe that touring, like somebody who really lives on the road, you know, is able to really live on the road for long periods of time. It's a constitutional thing. Yeah. I can get, you know, I can get three hours of sleep, wake up at six in the morning, drive for 12 hours, unload my gear, set it up, play two two-hour Led Zeppelin shows, get off stage, party, be the last man standing. That's my physicality. I don't know anybody else who can do that. And um, that's just, it's the way I'm built. Yeah. I just can do that. And yeah. um, so, and I think about, you know, um, going on the road with the real big bands that my husband has toured with and seeing those people who are the techs, who are the, you know, I have a great friend um, from the UK who, uh, you know, his father was a sound man and now he's one of the best sound men in the world. And, you know, he's spent his oh, life nice. on the road since he was 12 years old, right? Doing right. sound and, and, um, and it's a different constitution. You know, it's a different way of being. And actually there's a real kernel of just peacefulness. Like you have to be okay with everything that comes. You have yeah. to be able to find that, that, uh, that strength and fortitude within you 
and have it be easy to do. If you have a problem with sleep, you're probably not gonna, gonna wanna leave the road. <laughs> because sure. you can say, I'm gonna get off stage and go right to sleep because I have a big show tomorrow and I'll get off stage. And as I'm sleeping, I can hear the crowd in my head. As right. I'm sleeping <laughs> right. in my dreams, right. there's so much sound. My body is like buzzing when yep. I get into bed after playing for two hours. Like it's just, there's not, I'm not going to bed. <laughs> I'm not gonna sleep heavy. Right. I'm going to wake up at 630 in the morning because the week before at home, I was waking up at 630 in the morning. Right. And, you know, it's like sleep is not. Yeah, it's not going to happen. This is yeah. this talking about this reminded me I did a review um, a few months back on the last waltz, the, you know, the wonderful album mm. and movie mm -hmm. by the band. And there was a, a scene in the movie where Robbie Robertson says the road it's a goddamn impossible way of life. And I just love that, especially yeah. kind of coming from him. Now I haven't had even close to as much experience as, as the band has or, or you, but I just, um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just, I, I, I held on to that quote and am always interested to ask people like yourself, what your you know thoughts are about it. Getting back to your drumming again, before moving on to a couple other things, I, I suppose it's easy to be drawn to drummers like Bonzo because of his talent. I'm very curious. This is one of the questions that I've been like been burning inside me to ask you. Who are some other drummers that are up there for you that have really influenced you in addition to Bonzo? Uh, there's one drummer who was the biggest influence to me, honestly, um, because I saw him live many, many times. And um, I saw him when I first started playing drums. Like okay. I had been playing drums for maybe six months and i saw him play and i felt this thing happen in my mind like it was like osmosis like right something a little thing just twisted in my head and um that's dale crover of the melvins and, oh yeah um, sure mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i think he is just one of the unsung i mean you know everybody who knows him knows how spectacular of a drummer he is but i really do believe he's never really gotten his due as the the creative the 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 powerful the um the innovative drummer that he is i think i just think he is a spectacular drummer and i've seen him so many times and every time i see him that thing happens in my head where wow. something I go into the studio next time next time and something shifts yeah. you know something shifts for me now um, Dave Grohl replaced him uh, in Nirvana I guess Nirvana the job in Nirvana was offered to Dale before um, Dave took Dave Grohl took it so um, oh, you know I would right. say Dave Grohl yeah. is yeah I would say Dave Grohl is a um, you know I, I, I think that he and I have very similar drumming style um, and I didn't really get into Nirvana until after they were over. Mm -hmm. um, I was yeah. living in New York when that whole Sur Seattle scene happened and right. I was hanging out in the hip hop studio where my um, oh, boyfriend cool. was working. So I was listening to hip hop all the time. So cool. yeah. that, that all passed me by, even though I ended up playing music very similar to that in, um, in Bottom. Um, so it was it's kind of funny that i i kind of missed it but now i look at his playing and i think yeah that that's a similar um a similar style um and i, I wouldn't say that he was an influence but now i can see that um that style of drumming somehow seeped into me um i don't really have the punk rock background that he has i right. i was never big into that punk rock 
um, as far as wanting to play it. Um, it's not my it's not my speed. I'm more of a a slower, heavier drummer. Um, so. I had an opportunity to see the Melvins in 1993. So, and Dale, I think mm. if I remember correctly, Dale started with the Melvins in like the mid '80s, right? So he must have been the drummer. Um, during yeah, Dale was, must have been he was the already drumming. That. Yeah, he must have been the drummer yeah. for the Melvin. Mm -hmm. So I was in a small theater in Boston, and I'll never forget that day. I had just spent the most money that I'd ever spent on a pair of shoes. They were black Doc Martens with the yellow stitching, and I thought I was the coolest, coolest mother ever <laughs> in the world. And I go to the show, and the Melvins come on stage, and I looked at my friend and I said. I'm going to try the mosh pit. And he was like, are you sure, Greg, you weigh like 130 pounds or whatever. And I said, I'm going, I'm going. And I went in and about a minute later, stumbled back to my seat. And he, Zach, my friend said, what happened? And I said, I lost my shoe. So apparently <laughs> my shoe fell off just one. And not the other one. I must have not tied it tight enough. And, but that is my, whenever the, the Melvins comes up, Clem, that is what I think about. And I just remember how damn heavy they were and how much energy they gave me. And, um, and I never found the shoe. And so I had to go home and tell my parents like, Hey, I, uh, I lost one shoe, <laughs> not both. <laughs> <laughs> that totally cracks me up because I've played concerts and been walking out to the merch afterwards and there'll be a shoe there in the middle of the yeah. like in the middle of the thing. I'll be like, who would walk out of here without their shoe? It's happened to me <laughs> now twice. I want to think of you. It happened to me twice. It's happened to me twice. <laughs> the other time was at uh, Metallica mm -hmm. uh, not long ago, like five years ago. And and um, I the same thing. I looked at my friend and said, I've just got so much energy right now. I'm going in. And um, you know, I was wearing these sketchers and they were like the slide in. So there was no lacing. Oh, or, yeah. And um, but right. my fondest memory of that was I did get my shoe back. But the guy who hit me in the mosh pit immediately bent down, put his hand out and was like, are you OK? Or, I'm so oh, sorry. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was like this this immediate understanding that it wasn't anything personal that we were just yeah reacting to the music but anyway i just i love the fact that you mentioned the melvins i just i'm like i've got to get this story out there but i'm yeah, so happy you told uh, me that. doc martin yeah, is great. out there somewhere wandering in the <laughs> uh in the ether so um so this this has been this has been burning inside me and i wanted to ask and i know when we talk about music I, I more, more or less now today, I am less interested in defining like who the top is, who the best is, because it's really all opinion. But I love whenever I talk drummers, I love to get a feel for, you know, who people think are, are up there. And the, the reason this has come up is the last several years, I feel like I've heard interviews. I've listened to interviews from Dave Grohl, from, um, uh, from Taylor Hawkins, um, God rest his soul, mm -hmm. um, from, uh, who is the other guy? Uh, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they all say, including my circle of friends and people that I know in the music business, they all say Bonzo is, in terms of rock and roll drummers, 
is the greatest of all time. And these are real drummers. So like they have this, I, I just, I feel like their opinions weigh heavily. They've essentially all anointed Bonzo as the, the goat. However, I wanted to ask, because I'm wildly curious, has <laughs> Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush, ever been on your radar? So when people talk about the greatest drummer, right? I think probably what every drummer thinks is they want to say Neil, right? Because um, Neil was so innovative, you know, in, in this, in the way he played. I mean, I know he influenced Dale the most, right? Okay. Um, and, um, and so, I mean, his chops are just so precise, like everything is so precise and he's singing melodies on the drums. I mean, a great drummer sings melodies, Bonzo does that too, but sure. those melodies are, they're really interesting. And, yeah. and the music is really powerful and wonderful, right? And yeah. um, I think the reason that people say Bono, Bonham is because Bonham, the way like we talk about feel right and to me and i talk a, a lot about this in the book like feel is about the space between the quarter notes yep right because that's where we can just subtly change the feel of the song by just playing a, just a hair behind the downbeat a hair in front of it just weeding a little bit and bonham is a master it's like his that that knowledge he has of where to place of how he places the beats it's so impossible to replicate and i think it's because and i don't even think he knew he was doing it i think he was and i think he was just a deeply emotional person who that was his outlet right and that's right. how he spoke that's how you know, you think of men from that age, they didn't have an outlet to talk about emotion, right? And obviously no. Bonham was a troubled guy. I right. mean, anybody who dies the way he did and the way he, you know, lived when he was drunk, we all know those horrible stories. And, yeah. you know, it's obviously he had a lot of stuff happening underneath him and he was expressing yeah. it on the drums. And to me, that's the fact that he let us in to that. I think is why we, it's like a visceral feeling that connects to our own need to express ourselves emotionally. And Neil Peart is maybe a better technical player, mm -hmm. and, but, but Neil, he's not a guy who I think let us into his internal world, or maybe his internal world was a lot more structured and not as, uh and not as kind of fomenting as bonhams right mm -hmm. um so i don't know it's a very vague thing because you know now you see seven-year-olds who play bonhams parts and you're like oh it can't <laughs> be that hard to be john bonham right <laughs> well i mean but I, but there's that it's the feel it's the feel that's yeah. why and it's the feel and it's what he let he let us feel with his playing yeah you, you couldn't have put it any better, Clem. And again, I want to be clear, like, I don't necessarily 
I I think that it was really all about opinion, right? But the way you just put it, I, I you could have said Neil is 80th on your list and I would have been cool with that. What what the reason I asked and what sometimes bugs me is like when he's not Neil's not even in the conversation. You know, yeah. I feel like some of the 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 so I play little drums. Nothing crazy, but like to my right right now I've got a little Frankenstein kit that uh, I put together about three years ago. And I love it. I'm originally a bass player and I still play bass, but there's something about the backbeat and the drums that just excite me. And I would call, I would call bass playing, you know, sort of my, my, my blood, but I would call drums like a hobby that I'm just completely in love with. The, some of the drummers that influenced me um, just from, you know, I, I always had this joke with my friends where we would listen to music and have this shock reaction. And people who weren't musicians who were in the room would see us and be like, what did some, did, did your house just burn down? What are you? We're like, no, no, I'm reacting to the music here. But it was like, whenever I heard Bonzo, <laughs> whenever I heard Bonzo, whenever I heard Neil, whenever I heard Keith Moon, uh, Ginger Baker, Stuart Copeland, um, and these are some of the standards, obviously. And I'm not talking about jazz. I'm not talking about other genres, just like strictly rock. Uh, and then I would say Phil Collins as well. Like those were the, the, the six, five or six that just really, um, and again, I know music's an art form. It's obviously difficult to choose or say who's the best, but you know, for argument's sake, you have a trained ear and you're very skilled at drumming and you can hear drummers play beats that make you say, whoa, like, how did he do that? And for me, like, I listen to you drum and I'm like, whoa, how did she do that? Um, mm. And I think that, um, you know, you can measure it by level of difficulty, you know, in terms of like a drummer's skill, um, meaning how many other people can play it the same way. But I think the way that you just put it in terms of Bonzo, um, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think his talent stems from, uh, a lot of what you just said, I also feel like, and wanted your opinion on this is like, when I started getting into drums, a friend of mine, who's a really good drummer was like, let me teach you how to play triplets. And I remember being like, what let's, I'm sorry, huh? <laughs> and he was like triplets. Um, and Bonzo's use of just one bass drum with one pedal. But if you listen to it, it sounds like he's got two bass drums. Mm -hmm. So as a very, very, very amateur drummer, I find it extremely difficult. So I would argue, and I won't dive down this rabbit hole too much, but you know, Neil did 99% of the songwriting for Rush and a lot of them, you know, songs like Limelight and things like that about being on a lighted stage and um, I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. You know, those are examples of some songs where I think he did. I'm Greg Potters with albumreview.net. Are you looking to start your own podcast? I can save you a ton of time and money by helping you launch publish and grow your podcast. So this includes things like finding the equipment, the software and tips and tricks that are going to be right for you and your budget. Also, if you're looking for things like editors, designers, or you just want to find out what the best platform to use is, that's what I do. So you can find me at albumreview.net or message me directly at gpotters at albumreview.net.
I wanted to get into your book now. In February, you published a book called From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer. Love that title, by the way. And you noted that a lot of the ideas from your book came from your blog, Bliss and Drumming, which you started, I think, back in 2016. Did I get that mm -hmm. right? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I read one of your profiles that in the essays of your blog, um, and I'm quoting you, tales of your music career provided metaphor for contemplative practice. And you harness many of these tales and stories for this book. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah, I started off, um, you know, the pandemic happened and I, and I uh, thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll put the, you know, the blog's been going for several years. Maybe I'll kind of just, uh, you know, put them all together in a book and be done with it. And of course, when I started doing that, I started thinking, oh, there's more structure, more story, more, more beef that needs to be added to it. So, um, but some of these pieces uh, were, um, you know, did show up originally in the blog. Um, yeah, uh -huh. we're fleshed out. Now, I, I also want to convey to the listeners that although a musician's life can seem wild, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, you have a serious, in my opinion, calmness to you, Clem. You're a certified, or you're certified in contemplative psychotherapy and conf conflict rev uh, resolution, mm -hmm. and you've been a um, uh, Vipassana, did I pronounce that correctly? Vipassana yeah, meditator mm -hmm. um, for mm -hmm. over 30 years now, which is a mm -hmm. form of meditation that originated out of India, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. Talk well, to me, I, talk to yeah, me a little yeah. bit more about that, if you don't mind. Yeah, so, um, you know, the real backbone of my book is about how drumming and meditation found me at the same time. And um, like I said, I was trying to understand myself. I was trying to understand how to, you know, just be a lot more peaceful within myself. And uh, I went to a 10-day um, meditation course, silent retreat, uh -huh. um, right uh, around the same time that I started playing drums. And from, I had, um, you know, just caught me. And uh, it, I, I just saw so much benefit. I had kind of a big, you know, kind of, uh, what they would call like a spiritual opening where I kind of had a sense of uh, a bigger, you know, something bigger than me. And, um, and so for a long time, I just saw, okay, I have this meditation stuff that I do and this constant kind of spiritual seeking, you uh -huh. know, um, reading a lot of reading, a lot of, you know, trying different practices. And, um, and then I have, this rock and roll life and here I am here's Clem she's divided in two you know she's got these two things and um, uh, in the last 10 years uh, as I started to develop a counseling um, practice and got certified in all of these different ways I started to understand that it's all one thing the messages that I learn on the meditation mat about letting go of my attachments and my aversions you know those Buddhist ideas mm -hmm. um, it's the same thing when I'm sitting on stage, closing my eyes and watching my left foot and trying not to get distracted by the guy leaping on stage or the, you know, all the bad sound <laughs> or all that stuff. I still have to be in that, that center of myself, that non-reactive center of myself. And so I've used in my writing, I've used my music career to illustrate what does it look like? You know, okay, we know meditation is supposed to make you calm, but 
how do you really apply it when you're sitting in traffic or arguing with your spouse or, right, right. you know, all of these different things. And um, the amazing thing- In the thing, moment, right? Sorry to cut yeah, you off. It's like in, in the, the moment. moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the moment. And how, you know, we think, okay, well, I'm going to sit on the meditation mat for 10 minutes and then I'm going to get up and I'm going to go running off into my day. But that time that you spend, even that little bit, it does start to kind of seep into your moments where you're taking a step back. You're not yeah. immediately reacting, 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 because, right. you know, that's a that's a suffering life when when things happen. And, you, you know, talking about those guys who are on the road forever, you know, so their funniest stories are where they're standing back and watching the tour bus slide down the hill, you know, in the, <laughs> you know, in the snow or, you know, the the plane like, you know, that is just not going to get them there in time for the big festival. Like they just have to be non-reactive because there's nothing you can do about it. And that's a big yeah. lesson, I think. I think that's one of the most difficult things. I know it is, at least for me, um, and it's been something I've been working on for most of my adult life is just finding calmness and and peace um and lately i've found a lot of it well i've been meditating now for about three years Mm -hmm. certainly not to the level that you are but that was just another thing i mean i find this clem fascinating and it was like what first drew me to want to talk to you was your drumming and Mm -hmm. i just have to say really quickly from a guy's point of view it's cool to see a, a a tribute band but in my opinion, it's just even cooler to see a tribute band of women that just can rock out like you guys can. <laughs> it just, to me, it's just, because I've seen a thousand bands of guys, and to me, it's just like, next. When I dug deeper into your background and I learned more about your, you know, your your calmness and your meditation practices, I, I myself, like I said, I, I suffer from um, anxiety. Uh, and I've been working on using the tools that I've learned over the years to combat anxiety and stay consistent. And some days, and maybe you can attest to this, you know, or some people that maybe you talk to, some days these tools are effective for me and other days, not so much. Uh, I guess, do do people contact you and, and ask you to counsel them? Is that part of your spiritual journey or do have you created kind of like a business out of this as well? Yeah, I'm um, so I am a um, practitioner in a few modalities. Um, One of them is called depth hypnosis, and it was created by a teacher named Issa Gucciardi in Berkeley, California. And it's a marriage between, you know, Western psychological method, especially transpersonal psychology, which brings into the idea that spirit is a part of healing, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just the mind. And then we've got Buddhism, which provides a really wonderful structure. Buddhism has a lot of really great structures when you're trying to um, understand your thoughts and how to use the mind to fall beneath thought. You know, it seems kind of like a, um, a dichotomy, but um, but it's very about, you know, using using our mind. It's not avoiding our mind. It's not running from our thoughts, but it's about witnessing them and being able to find the awareness into which those thoughts rise, right? And then um, shamanism, which is, um, we say shamanism, there's a lot of woo-woo around shamanism these days, but really it is earth-based wisdom. Mm -hmm. A shaman is someone who for 100,000 years has um, looked at the natural world and seeing the lessons that the natural world gives us and translates those lessons to the community 
right? And it's very embodied. Um, it's, it's kind of like an embodied spirituality. And so, um, so we're using those uh, techniques of traditional shamanism that might seem very um, kind of out there. And yet really what we're working with is metaphor. If I say I'm doing a power retrieval and I and you go into a meditation and I guide you to connect with the part of yourself that has your best interest at heart and it looks like a bear. Well, then when you're walking, you know, when you're in a, a, a situation where you're feeling very, you know, uneasy or anxious or something and you connect with you can close your eyes and take a few breaths and connect with the bear. You're connecting with the part of yourself that has your best interest at heart which we forget we even have. Right. Right. So that's a very simple kind of way of explaining the kind of work that I do. So it's using metaphor, it's using um, meditation techniques, um, and it's usually using some of the kind of, um, you know, the questioning techniques that we find in Western psychology to, to help people um, connect with that, that part of themselves that really knows you know, you say, I want to become more peaceful. I want to become more non-reactive. We already are. Sure. I mean, it is, you know, uh, when we find it in, in peaceful moments, well, how do we find that in chaotic moments? Right. Exactly. Right. right. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the so key. That's, that's how I work with people. And, and that modality has been, um, you know, there's a peer reviewed study of, um, it helping people for PTSD and, tra and trauma, um, depression, anxiety. You know, we work with those standard um, things um, that, and we work, uh, and you know, we also connect, a lot of us are very disconnected from even what we even think of as spirituality or, or the, a bigger picture than us. How do we fit into right. this? You know, what is it, the kind of that big, the big existential meaning um, we don't need to say God or whatever, you know, it is, but, you know, we're disconnected from what we even think of that way. And yeah. a lot of people have a lot of trauma around, you know, uh, previous religion, religious ideas and stuff. And, um, so that, that this work can be helpful in that, too. Is it safe to say that, and you kind of alluded to this already, but this was a question that I, I had prepped uh, and jotted down before we started talking, is it safe to say that, you know, really the, the genesis of why you help people today, does it stem from sort of some of your experience suffering from anxiety as a, like a teenager or as a younger, younger child? Yeah, I would say my, um, the suffering that I felt was really depression. Mm -hmm. It was a darkness. It was a, a hopelessness. Um, and that hopelessness came from having such a negative, you know, judgment about right. myself, constant judgment, just wearying judgment where it right. was, could be crippling. You know, I didn't want to yeah. be, you know, I didn't want to do things because I felt I wasn't worthy to do right or right. connect and all of those, you know, that, that real darkness of depression. And at one point I was you know, diagnosed as having depression and, and uh, they're like, okay, well, I'll take this medication. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really like to take medication, but I'll right. take it. And it Same. kind of balanced me out. And right. I thought, all right, I'm going to go, you know, I'd heard that going to um, uh, a particular kind of therapy was really helpful. And I went in and 
I sat down and um, we were talking about how I wanted to get off the medita- medication. And so mm-hmm. what, how could they help me? And he said, well, have you ever meditated? <laughs> and it just like hit me. Like that's where I had been that's compartmentalizing it. my yeah. life. You yeah. know, here light I was, bulb. I've been, at that point, I'd been meditating for 20 years, you know, like <laughs> I just lost my way, you know, I lost yeah. my way. And, um, and so it was very easy to get back. Yeah. Well, I must say, you certainly have a way about you. So calm, cool and collect, but also you have a humbleness to you that I think is, you know, really mm, drawing. You. And, um, you know, it's, I, I think if we got on this call and you were like, yeah, no, I'm just, I don't really think about it. I just go up there and kick ass and I'm really good. And yeah, well, Greg, I mean, I'm here because I'm just really good. Like the fact that you're vulnerable and you can admit that, I think just makes you that much more fuller Thank of a you. person in my opinion. So, um, and with that said, in addition to your calmness or maybe it's juxtaposed with the fact that you can still slam on the drums live on stage and make people's dr- jaws drop, especially mine. This is what, as I said, what kind of, that was what sort of first got me interested and excited to want to interview you. And then I'm just learning so much more. Back, I'm jumping around a little bit, but these are all great topics. Getting back to your book, um, is there a particular narrative? And I think I think you've alluded to this already, but is there a particular narrative or message that you're trying to convey to every reader of your book, like a like a lesson? Well, um, let's see. Is there a lesson? The lesson is ultimately that um, and this I'm gonna start getting really um, 
I'm going to get start getting really um, gooby. Um, I'll be right there with you. Yeah, the lesson is that um, we are enough. Everybody's enough. And I know, um, I know that uh, so many people don't think they are, right? Um, I'm sorry, I always get, uh, can, uh, get that way, but about this, because I know how much people suffer. Um, but, uh, but wait, there's a way to connect to that part of yourself that's enough, that knows it's enough, that can trust what's right. You know, we get ourselves in these situations that seem so overwhelming and so much pain and, and sorrow. And we think that that's just the way that we are now. And that's just the way life is. And we look outside and we see so much negativity and we think that is what it is. And, um, and we feel powerless to, to help the situation, but, um, but we each have it in us, you know, we each have that spark of the divine. Yeah. And I, I really believe that. Yeah. It's so infectious just talking to you and, and, you know, I think we all, or a lot of us at least feel that way. And, mm -hmm. um, it's just heartwarming to know that, you know, I'm not the only one out there and I'm sure you've felt that way as well, that you're not the only one out there. And, um, you know, you can find this community of people I'm assuming is probably a huge community of people in music because, Let's face it, most people, at least like you you and I, musicians, we, we go to music um, because it's something higher than us or bigger than us, and it just brings out the spirituality. So um, thank you for, for sharing that and, you know, being vulnerable. I think it just makes you an even stronger person, in my opinion. Okay, uh, to some fun mm -hmm. stuff. A question I always wanted to ask you as well. Um, can you think of one or two of the most, like being a, a as a spectator, one or two of the most memorable concert experiences that you've ever had? I always say the same one, um, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was so powerful because it was really my first concert, which was Rolling Stones, LA Coliseum, oh, 90,000 people with oh, my, my father God. took wow. me. We each got to bring a friend uh prince wow. opened george wow. Thorogood opened oh prince opened and he got booed off the stage oh by ninety thousand people <laughs> <laughs> which says more about stones fans than it ever said about <laughs> prince you know i think that if you get booed off the stage by ninety thousand people you've kind of made it right yep, like yep. you're gonna be a success so yep. um yeah so uh that that's wow. a very very memorable concert to me yeah that um, is awesome yeah it, really lovely yeah it's so funny because i i didn't have as much of an appreciation for prince in the early days and i think a lot of it personally was his image um yeah. but when i and this might sound cliche but when i heard him play while my guitar gently weeps oh god at the rock and roll hall of fame unbelievable it changed everything and um you know i i still say this a lot clem like 
one of the things that I miss more than anything in the world is, and they still exist out there. There's actually one in my hometown, I'm grateful to say, but is going to the record store and going, mm -hmm. walking in the door. And, um, you know, and in many cases, I knew what I wanted and I would walk right to the aisle and go to the P section and pull out that Prince <laughs> album. But then there were other times where I would just walk through and I would, it was like my, I'm getting really cheesy here, but it was like my church. And I would go in and I would just listen to what whatever the guys or the girls behind the desk were playing and um and i would go up to them and say what what is this what, what are you guys what are you guys playing and and then I, I would walk through the aisles and i would literally pick out albums just based on the cover so anyway mm -hmm. i just i i i, I hearken back to that because i remember feeling that way i might have been one of those people that booed prince off the stage like especially when he had his pants where like his butt was showing um but then... yeah he had big high boots and he was, and, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and it was like a hundred degrees out and the stones fans were like no we're not going for it and he's playing guitar behind his head and he's right. i mean he's amazing he's You're amazing incredible. Right? he's incredible yeah yeah that's awesome that's a great story um what are some other interesting or exciting encounters that you've had or have you had any with other musicians from the the rock and roll genre i've had many many i've been really lucky you know my like i said my husband is a tour manager right. um, musician and tour manager and um so i've had i've been very privileged to uh, be able to meet a lot of my heroes um okay so this is one story i haven't told in a while is that um when i lived in new york city uh, I befriended this man who was uh, Keith Richards, uh, one of Keith Richards' personal managers. Okay. And uh, he called me one day and he said, listen, uh, Ron it's Ronnie Spector's birthday down at this little club. I can't even remember the name of the club. Down at this little club, Ronnie Spector's birthday. Keith has asked for his, ge his gear to be sent down. I don't know for sure he's going to show up, but do you want to go? Right? Now... Of course I went and I was, you know, just standing at the bar. There weren't that many people there yet. And I was just kind of standing there and my friend like grabbed me. It was like, get this behind you. And I looked and he was just kind of had this beatific smile and was just smiling and just kind of falling his way, like across, you know, like from one end of the bar to the other, you know, people are kind of like around him and stuff. And I was like, that's awesome. Like that's as close as I ever need to be. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And then he was in another room and then Ronnie Spector started playing and Joey Ramone was on stage with her. And then, um, and then here comes Keith and he comes over and he's just got this smile and they, people like took him and they like put his guitar on him and he's just standing there. And then they just kind of pushed him up on the stage <laughs> and he was standing there and he looked so wiggly, you know, like he must've been messed up. Right. right? I mean, he sure. must've, he must've been Keith, you know, or else he was putting on a great Keith act. Right? I can picture him like floating. Like he wasn't even walking. He was just, yeah, sort of it was floating. like his feet weren't even, you know, people were kind of holding him up. Right. As he was going and they put him up on stage and he just bam was Keith. Oh my God. It was unbelievable. And he was like, oh like on his knees playing to Ronnie Spector. And it was just this unbelievable show. And oh then, then he stood up and he just kind of fell off the stage and they like caught him. Right. <laughs> and then uh, the show is over. My friend's like, come up, come backstage and meet Keith. Right. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I never want to meet, you know, people. Yeah. Um, he's like, no, come backstage. And we go back and it's this big goofy room and it's got this big table in it. And there are people like all around and Keith is on one end. And he was like, come on, come on, come meet him. And I was like, no, 
this is enough. I do not like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Right, right. He's talking to people. He's doing his thing. Yeah. That's so funny, Clem. I have the same mindset and, and it's, yeah. I wonder why sometimes, because I feel like I've had missed opportunities, but I, I, I have this weird, like subconscious thing inside me that I can't, you know, I call it, I use the word like fanboy, like fanboy yeah. out. So I've met, you know, actors and musicians and, now, um, I don't know what I would do if I ever met David Gilmore. I might faint, but but everybody else that I've met, I I can't believe I'm admitting this, but like I, I went the other direction where I was like, and what is it you do? Are you are you? Oh, you're in music. Oh, you know, like I have all of their albums, you know. But but I found that to work sometimes, where they're like, oh, okay, this guy's not going to drool over me. I can have a regular conversation. So I'm with you. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I sometimes I'm like, what am I going to say to them? What am I? You? I really love the. You know, there's that yeah. famous Chris Farley. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, on Saturday Night Live when he's like, remember that time? Paul, remember when you were in the Beatles, Paul? <laughs> so I'm totally with you. Like, I, I don't know. I've been invited before too. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to pass. And yeah. I don't really know what I would say. And, you know, of course, sometimes I look at it as maybe missed opportunity. You know, it's like the last time I had an opportunity, I was like, I should ask him to be on the podcast. But then I'm like, oh, it's, I'm, I'm, I've had like seven beers. I, I'm, I'm not in a position right now where I could actually have a pleasant conversation. <laughs> conversation with them. I'll just start drooling. So wanted to ask you this for a while. Where do you see the music business today? Like, where do you see it moving to? Uh, well, I'm probably the last person to ask. Um, I think that, see, for me, everybody says, ah, the music business is, you know, it's gone so downhill, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't see that at all. I think there's this huge huge i mean you can make a record in your living room right <laughs> that's amazing it is it's amazing i it go down really to my is. i have a studio that i have worked at for 20 years in san francisco with this gentleman rob preston who's a dear friend of mine and it is the most fun in the world to go in that rehearsal studio and i can go in a recording studio and we go in there and we goof around and we make records and we put them out and i can do it and nobody ever hears it and i don't care but it's <laughs> out there it's in the world right? right and um i think that's magical um i wish that things like Spotify actually paid artists. I yeah. mean, I really, you know, uh, I, I, I wish that I, I, I can't listen to like, I can't sign up yet because I feel bad for the way that people just don't make money. And I think I spoke to a friend of mine who said, it's just such an easy shift that they have to make as far as, I can't remember if it's like times listened or, you know, there's some, some easy algorithm to make it so that everybody kind of makes more money with, right. you know, the artists make money. I think music isn't valued, you know, for all the time that people put into it. I don't think that it's valued in the, in the right way. And, um, you know, and, and the, the work that artists do. And, you know, I would say when people, you know, if you have someone in your life, who's a musician and, or, uh, any kind of artist, you know, even if you're buddies with them, even if you, you know, they're, they're, you know, friends, girlfriend or whatever it like just buy like just support them just yeah. buy them 
yeah. you know, they're, they're just buy it. Even if it's not music you even like, you know, yeah. it's like somebody is putting their heart and soul into doing something. Yeah. It's rare that a musician has an ulterior motive other than right. self-expression, yeah. you know, and yeah. self-expression is very important for us uh, as humanity. And I think that the music industry right now is wonderful because anybody can express themselves and, yeah. and you know i think that's a wonderful thing so as far as the finances go i have no clue yeah. <laughs> but uh i but think i, I remember think... spotify noting that um you know they do pay per stream right but you really have to get to i mean it's something like it's less than a penny per stream so you really have to where artists are profiting is when they have millions of streams, right? So um, yeah, so the the people who get paid are the over here, and then the it goes like, whoop, and then all these artists get paid, like the ninety nine percent. You know, it's just like the one percent. Yeah. It's the yeah. same in the music industry. You know, somebody's got five guys got all the money, right? So it's. I ask this question of, of of you know every musician that I've interviewed, and and it's just so enlightening and heartfelt it's not the right term but like it's just so comforting that you're right on track with like everybody else i've talked to like everyone's just in it for the music and that's what i think is so great i do have to admit that i ask these questions a lot of everybody because i do have a little bit of like in my day remember when type of thing and i get constantly made fun of by my kids and you know what i i think i'm an, a good target because i do say that i mean as i'm sitting here right now i'm looking at about 20 feet from me is my entire cd collection and it's you know ceiling to floor um and i'm never going to throw them out i said to my mm -hmm. wife like you know you we're going to pick out a few so that when whenever i do pass um i can be buried with some of those and yeah. i realize it doesn't necessarily have to be about physical things but i do really support supporting musicians mm -hmm. but <clears throat> just seeing a, a a band like zepparella and the fact that you guys are keeping rock and roll alive is just awesome to me and so motivating and mm -hmm. and i worry sometimes that rock and roll in a way is dead and what a lot of people that i've interviewed on the show have said to me is greg it's it's not there's so much out there you just have to go out and, and look well and, that's and that's the difference isn't it i mean that's you the have to you have to look though, from right? before <laughs> is that and it's just like it, it i think we're all being required whether it's you know whatever we're consuming we're all being required to do our own research it's exactly. not fed it's not the it's two not guys on yep. television who are yep. telling us what to do anymore we gotta right. go unless you want to listen to the thing that corporate america is telling you to listen to you know if you have any interest in anything else other than what's just coming to you from the big from the big voices, yeah. you know, you got to do your research, but that's the fun of it, right? Yeah. I mean, that's you in the record store going, I mean, I can't go into a record store with my husband because I've never been a record collector and he is. So yeah. it's like, he gets into this, like, it's just like, I can't speak to him. He speaks in monotone. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I'm going to go down this. I, like I've gone down, I've had like margaritas at the bar, like down the street <laughs> for like three hours and come back. And he's still like in this thing, you know, Amoeba records in San Francisco. Forget oh it. My like, God. No. Love no. Amoeba. Oh my God. That place. <laughs> The first time I went in there, it was, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I used yeah. to, I used to sneak into Boston when I was 13. I still, my parents weren't very, 
they didn't want me to go into the city by myself or without an adult and I would do it anyway. Um, surprise, surprise, mom and dad, if you hear this, um, but I would go in, I would take the, you know, we call it the T here, the subway. And, um, and I would go in and Clem, I would spend the entire day, you know, I get a slice of pizza and a Coke and then I would spend the entire day at tower records. And, yeah. um, I had, I've been to LA a thousand times, but the, couple of years ago when I was there, a friend of mine who's a musician, he said, I'm taking you to Amoeba today. And I was like, what is that, like a tech company? And he was oh. like, no, 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 no. And um, uh, I didn't realize there's one in San Francisco as well. Um, yeah. I'm regretting now the last time I was there that I didn't go there. But yes, I go. So you probably, I, I probably get along with your husband a lot where <laughs> where we would, we'd have that like relationship where it's like, okay, you go over there and I'll go over here and let's not talk for two hours and then I'll see you right back here. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just, it was for me, a lot of it too, as I said, it was a lot about the, the artwork. I don't really see a lot of, you know, you don't really see a lot of, I mean, it, it exists, but you have to kind of look at it on your, on your phone and um, it doesn't well, really do And I think, I think it's, it's multimedia now, right? I mean, exactly. people are being very creative um, yeah. with their, um, you know, with their videos and, you know, all of the extra stuff that people are putting into their music, you know, and, and that is a difficult thing as a musician. I, I you know, uh, you have to be the, um you know the designer and the marketer and the yep you know you have to you have to wear all those hats yep and yeah. um you know that that is a challenge uh but it's also a great creative output you know yeah um you know you really have this vision of the whole thing and nobody's telling you what it's supposed to be you get to you get to decide yeah um, yeah, yeah. well we're um, i'm getting close to to wrapping up here i to, if i'm being honest i'd I could do this like all day and all night. I feel and that just, way too. It's so super interesting. I feel that and, way too. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those folks out there that visit albumreview.net on a regular basis, I, um, in many cases, and I, with your blessing, I'd love to do this as well. I'd love to share the link you know, basically back to your website or to wherever right. you sell for your book, as well as your music on the site so that my visitors can just immediately go to your site and purchase your book. Oh, um, thank you. For the people that are out there that are listening to this right now, I'm optimistic that, you know, you come to albumreview.net for a couple of reasons, but some of them are, you know, my reviews, the interviews that I think can touch a special place in your heart and bring back great memories. And if, if, you know, people out there enjoy albumreview.net up to now, you're really going to enjoy Clementine Moss's book from Bonham to Buddha and back the slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer. And you can order so you can order a copy of Clem's book by going to her website, clementinemoss.com, right? That's all one word. Uh, no, it's um, uh, Clem the Great. Clem the Great. The Great. Is, okay. Yeah, Clementine Moss is kind of the spiritual counseling stuff. And okay. Um, okay. Clem the Great kind of has the links to all of the different bands. Okay. That was the site I was on then. Stuff. Okay. I thought That's it was. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm glad I asked. Before we wrap up, is there anything, you know, else that, that you'd like to add or anything that, you know, I, I might have forgotten or missed? I'm just really grateful for what you're doing. I mean, I, like I told you before we got on, I just, I was listening to the Revolver uh review and oh my gosh i i was just remembering how those songs felt like sun they feel like sunlight when i look back um because i was so 
young like I, it's like I can get into my early my younger self when I listen to those songs and how much they meant to me and um yeah so I really appreciate what you do Greg I think you do a great job thank you thank you very mm -hmm. much that means a lot especially coming from someone like yourself that is such a in my opinion and I think it holds some weight a little bit just because of all the music I listen to, but just such an established musician. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've you've got so many of these interesting pieces to your life, Clem, and I just hope that you keep up with them. If you do me an honor of being a guest on another episode down the road, I'd love to, you know, maybe review an album that's special to you. Um, and, I love uh, that. you know, the, the Revolver one I did was with a musician that I met uh, out of the Buffalo area, Jason Myrick, and Jason's music has influenced me so much. And it's just, I call it driving music because I like to listen to him when I'm driving on like a really nice sunny day. I've invited other musicians back to do reviews and I think that they've just been able to add so much more color to mm. some of these albums. What I also really love about doing this is that I get to dive deeper. You know, I just, I did one several months back on the Talking Heads and I was never a huge Talking Heads fan growing up. I never yeah. disliked them because I mean, they were all over MTV, but I got to for like three weeks while I was researching before I wrote this review and then did the podcast, I got to like yeah. just live in their world for yeah. for that amount of time. And, and, um, and that's really what I love and uh, you know, Neat about all these you know so i could um, tell jason did that too when yeah. he was talking yeah yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Certainly... He, he he really had research too it was a great interview i wish you the best of luck on tour and i'm gonna be um you know i'm like when i uh go back uh, upstairs i'm in my studio right now but when i go back upstairs i'm gonna be cranking your version of Moby Dick. That's oh, right now, God. one of my favorites. <laughs> Levy. So Le Le Levy. So I think you already know this, but for like people who don't know, like there's this, there's this famous. I'm gonna butcher words now because it's late on a Friday here for me, and I should be cracking a beer soon. There's this. <laughs> There's this famousness around how Bonham recorded when the mm -hmm. levee breaks. And it was in mm -hmm. a stairwell in a mm -hmm. house where they were recording mm -hmm. to get like the right sound. And I can remember being at camp, 12 years old, and I was in Maine near Montreal, mm -hmm. right on the border of Canada. And my camp counselor put in Led Zeppelin IV and mm -hmm. it changed my life forever. <laughs> and I mean, I can't even, but when they, when it got to Levy and I heard that, so I'm, I'm poking around on Zepparella's music and I'm going through it and I'm like, okay, I want to mm -hmm. see how Clem does Levy and I want to see how <laughs> she does Moby Dick and you crushed them. It was um. like, those are not easy to duplicate that sound Clem. And so um, look, I probably would have, I, I, I would have wanted to talk to you either way, but like just the fact <laughs> I just, it, it, you, you did such a great job and it's, thank seems you. Oh, that means so much to me. That means so much. Yeah. Levy is definitely a favorite. It's definitely a favorite. Well, yeah. I hope to have an opportunity to hear it live sometime in I person. So. If you ever get I up to, so. to Boston, you know, we do um, sometimes we get to the Cape. You know, um, I would really like to get back to Boston. We have so many fans there. You know, I'd like to get back there. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll keep in touch. And um, I will, um, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. It's um, been so awesome. Thank you so much, Greg. I just really, welcome. I can't imagine more fun, really. Well, good so, luck on, you. good luck on tour. Good luck with your book and good luck with, 
your spiritual healing and who knows i may be reaching out to you uh clem i just my car broke down and i'm on the street and i need some help right now i'm in the middle of traffic take a breath take a breath take a breath bring in the bear what does the bear say oh my gosh yeah i can just i can see it you know i can just see it coming from you so um awesome well have a wonderful weekend and you um, too and I will, uh, I'll talk to you again really soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode, my interview with Clementine Moss. Remember, you can pick up a copy of Clem's book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer, at the bookstore at albumreview.net, or you can go to clemthegreat.com. That's clem with one M, thegreat.com. I had high hopes before this interview that it would go well, and I was blown away by just how brilliant Clem is. Not only was she honest at times and showed her emotions, but her spirit is pure and her journey is focused. I just, I just love when she talked about her struggles and how she overcame them. Look, we all have struggles in life, right guys? Hell, I, I struggle pretty much every day, but I think after talking to Clem, this was just another example of what it feels like to not be alone. That there are others out there who struggle as well and we can all get through it. We just gotta keep fighting. So if you're interested in any of the books or albums that I've discussed in this episode or previous episodes, go to albumreview.net and pick up a copy of your own. Listen to all my podcast album reviews at albumreview.net by clicking on the podcast tab. They can also be heard wherever podcasts are available. Please follow the show on your preferred platform so you can get regular updates on new episodes. Also, if you guys would be so kind as to pop a quick review or rate the podcast, that helps move the needle and get the word out there. I do want to hear from you. Please email me your feedback, album review requests. I always get tripped up on that one. Album album review requests. I'm always like album review requests. I sound like Elmer Fudd. And any other questions you might have to gpotters at albumreview.net. That's G-P-O-T-T-E-R-S at albumreview.net. 
If you'd like to get regular updates on reviews, interviews, products, and music news, go to the homepage and join the mailing list. Visit our YouTube page and stay tuned for updates on Instagram, Facebook, and the almighty TikTok. You can find me at albumreviewnet. All right, guys, take it easy. Be well. Trip down by the highway Take a trip down